Welcome to the Good Christian Podcast. This is Britt Hodge. I brought on my friend Tom Amos today. He's from foggy London town. Hey, Tom. Hey, how you doing? Really good. I had to bring Tom on because I'm giving my own testimony today. There's been a few people that are like, hey, how come you haven't told your own testimony? Get vulnerable. And so here I am. I'm about to give a a very condensed version of it, but it's interesting nonetheless, and it's uh, highly intriguing shameless plug i wrote a testimony book hopefully one day it'll exist so for the for the rest of the story you know i just pray someday that i can uh, get that released but until then tom do you have any ideas for today i'm um i'm just super excited to hear your story um i think it's very powerful and hopefully it's gonna it's gonna affect people in a really good way so um yeah do you want to do you want to kick us off um, yeah, what's this story going to be about? Yeah, so the idea of the Good Christian Podcast, obviously the name sounds boring. And if I wasn't a Christian and I saw that name, I would be like, yuck, I don't want to hear anything to do with that. But it's basically for people that, you know, the first few were about my friend who went through sexual assault and now she, her desire is to minister to people that sexually assault people. That's radical. That's unheard of that's amazing to me, then that's complete transformation because she's found herself to be comfortable in that situation. Um, Emily Langford, evangelist, young, knows what she wants, gets it. Amazing people. I just keep seeing these amazing people and I think their stories need to be heard. And then most recently, uh, Jacob, he did 13 years in prison and our stories are somewhat paralleled because I also I had 13 years in pure hell on earth. I shot up drugs for 12 of those years. Every single day I shot up drugs, whether it was meth, heroin, cocaine, Oxycontin, and also sniffed pills, you know, Xanax. And I was a hard liquor addict also for about 15 years. So I started when I was about 15 drinking. I started drugs, hard drugs when I was 18. So uh, just a little uh, attention getter. There was a time in 2014 when I would shoot up cocaine and sniff Xanax, uh, sometimes shooting up cocaine 30 to 40 times in a 24-hour period. And that just shows you how lost I was. I hated life. And I just want to live, leave that tidbit out there because a lot of people see me now. They're like, you know, I'm in ministry school. But the Lord shows evidence of his existence by transforming people like me. You don't find someone who's addicted to drugs every single day. And, and then all of a sudden, they're just not. Like, if you knew me, and, and I have family and friends that can corroborate every single thing I say, I was the worst drug addict that you could think of. So I just want to start off with that. And then I wanted yeah. you to come on so you can ask questions, like as a member of the audience, just so I don't blow past some key details. Yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, we'll get into it in a second. I just, um, just want to say as well, as someone who knows you, like, post a lot of the things you're going to say today like sure you're a guy who comes across as a real like sold out follower of jesus like a man of honor super generous super kind and i think when i first heard some of this story for me it was quite shocking and i love this idea that you're putting across of like a good christian is actually just someone who's 
who's given themselves to Jesus. It doesn't mean they're perfect. It doesn't mean that they, they have this squeaky clean story. It's actually the fact that we have recognized our need for him. So with, with all of that going, obviously you've given us a bit of a, bit of a, a huge amount of information of, oh, this is, this is what I was like. Um, you just want to let us know, like, how did, how did this all start? Like, where did, where did this drug addiction that you were in for a long time come from? Yeah, so it started when I was 18, uh, like I said earlier, but it started a lot younger than that. And uh, I just hated my life. I hated myself from the time I was super young. I would say I was uh, no more than seven, probably, when I started experiencing self-hatred. Not that I knew it at the time. How could I? I was seven years old. And I had wonderful parents. I was raised by Christians. They loved me ridiculous amounts. I was fully taken care of in, in all the ways possible, but there was just something missing in, in my ability to communicate with them. Some of the pains I was going through as a kid, I guess, like uh, being bullied, I was chubby, things like that, that I just couldn't, I couldn't make myself tell them. I didn't want to appear weak. Even back then, I can remember I hated to cry. I hated to appear weak. And uh, maybe it's because from being from Texas, people really don't share their emotions or uh, it's really you know, you do appear weak if, you, if you're always complaining or asking for help. So I think that was just born into me. Like my parents never persuaded me not to share my struggles with them. I just for some reason didn't. And uh, that grew over time and, and festered into self-hatred that could only be cured and tempered by hard alcoholism and heavy drug addiction. I started off with alcoholism. Uh, 15, 16, drinking, you know, 15, 20, 25 shots of liquor and, and just passing out. And I felt freedom from being that drunk because I no longer had that 10 billion pound weight on my heart of how much I hated life and how much I hated myself. And a lot of that also manifested in bad treatment of others. I would treat other people bad. I would put other people down. My words were very terrible. <clears throat> and I, I became a bully uh, in high school, the bully became the bully and I would just put people down and tear them apart. So I never knew any of this stuff until I really started to engage with the spirit of the Lord. There's no educator on earth, like the spirit of God, man, when you get into it, he begins to teach you things from the inside out and, and just showing you where there were cracks in your path and everything. That's been one of the most astonishing things because I'm really like skeptical minded when it comes to God and, and his existence. So to really what you know in hindsight watching the works of god unfold is, is so amazing but like i said until i was 31 years old truly didn't believe in god so i went from 15 17 18 self-hatred to the max and um not thinking there's any way out i just think this is life and, and i need to get on some depression or anxiety meds yeah. So, um, so let me, let me just, um, take stock for a minute. So you're kind of saying that you had a, you actually had a pretty, pretty good upbringing, like secure family, um, safe, safe home environment, but, but there was something inside of you that just felt very heavy and broken and, and, and angry towards yourself. And, and, and this drug, well, not the drugs that the alcohol was just kind of taking that away. So, um, Obviously, I guess I guess the obvious question to ask next is how did that how did that move on to to drug addiction and and was that was there a steady path to that was it very sudden like what did that look like? 
Yeah, well, the answer is very practical. Um, alcohol is heavily regulated, especially for young, uh, if you're not 21 in Texas. So it was hard to get. So my friends moved on from alcohol, my friends and I, sorry, uh, moved on from alcohol to just over the counter. We would drink bottles of Robitussin at a time and, and pop, you know, 30 Benadryls at a time. And, uh, and that's just where we went from there. And, and it was just a natural progression. So after years of just tripping out, we call it robo tripping. We drink a whole bottle of Robitussin. After a few years of that, um, we kind of were just pushing the envelope, man. Me and my friends would do crazy things and, and we were never uh, taking the easy way out or I don't know. We pushed each other to do bad things is, is the simplest way to put it. But that was just a recipe for disaster, self-hatred. And then uh, being introduced to drugs at 18, it was spring break. That was the first time I ever tried drugs. It was the first time I'd ever seen hard drugs, real drugs. I think we tried to buy some fake drugs a few times, but this was the first time I've ever seen real drugs in my life. I was 18 and it was meth. And this guy was like, do you want to smoke meth? And I was like, obviously, of course, no questions asked. Just let me try this. And uh, never, ever thinking about the implications for my future, just knowing that this could take my mind off the reality that I'm constantly living in, uh, which is just pure hatred for my own life, you know, not respecting myself at all. And um, so, yeah, that's where I started drugs. I was 18, methamphetamine, smoked it. And, um, and that's where everything really, all the bad stuff really took off. Wow. And um, this whole time, kind of your, your family that you've spoken about, were they, were they aware of what was, um, what was going on? No, as far as drugs or anything, my, my family, there's no drinking, there's no drugs, there's nothing like that in my family. We're actually uh, go to church as many times a week as possible type of family. So in the beginning, they had no clue about that. They knew that I was drinking because I got a DWI when I was 17. And of course, that scares them. but. I guess you just pray that it's a phase. They did whatever they could. They grounded. They, they scolded. They, I mean, they punished. They treated me with love. Every possible thing you think of to carry a kid through a period of, um, a period of, I guess, lackluster living, not living up to the expectations they had. And so they did not know about drugs until, I would say maybe if a year, uh, half a year, a year into the meth abuse, I, I just had to tell them because I'd stolen so much money from them and they knew something was up. They just didn't know what. So I just came out and told them that by that point I was shooting up meth and sniffing pills and, and drinking hard liquor quite regularly. And it wasn't long after that until I overdosed the first time. So it was on Valentine's day, 2006, I believe I was 19. And I shot up meth all night. And then the next day, I went and got synthetic heroin, also known as Oxycontin. It was a chronic pain pill. So I shot that up in my car and I died on the spot, put my foot on the brake, and I was actually dead. And this guy just happened to see me and uh, called the cops. They broke me out of the car. And that was the first time I ever had a supernatural experience uh, in the spirit, obviously. I was, I was in the sky. I saw a super bright white light communicated with me and without using words, I was a super bright white light. 
And so whenever I came back into my body, the ambulance came and they revived me. And I got back into my body and everything calmed down and I got back home. There's a lot more to that story. But when I got back home, I started to question, what was this thing that I saw? Um, doesn't sound like the Jesus that I learned about in children's church. So I just started researching near-death experiences. And the most common thing that popped up was the transfigured Christ, how he appeared when he was transfigured. So that stuck in my crawl because my parents raised me with such a foundation of Jesus that it was always in there. It was just covered up by a bunch of stuff. So, so I just, I kept that in my heart that the transfigured Christ is what that could have been. I knew I saw something. I just didn't know what. So that was Valentine's day, 2006. I was 19 years old. And that was the first time that I was actually declared dead from a drug overdose. And that's okay, so when say, my entire family found out that I was on drugs. Okay. So you say, you say that was, um, that was the first time, but, um, implication being there were many more times after. So, so you've had this, this, this supernatural feeling experience. You couldn't quite explain it. So very transcendent kind of feeling, but, while that's kind of, I guess that, that feels like that maybe was on the back burner a tiny bit as you were trying to work that out. Um, the implication seems to be that there were more overdoses to come. How bad did it get? Like, what? where did we go next? Yeah, it continued to get bad. I had to go to court-ordered rehab for that overdose. Um, instead of going to jail, they just were like, no, you've been through enough, and your parents too. Go to rehab for so many days. and and follow through with that program. We won't charge you. I ended, I was supposed to go for like 30 days. I ended up going for four. I think I got straight out, went and bought some meth and shot up again. And then, you know, I was just continued on that path. It wasn't long after that, that I found heroin, black tar heroin, began shooting that up. So then I'm also shooting up cocaine and Oxycontin. So now I'm a floor drug addict every day, mixing drugs, same drugs every day from, the overdose until I'm 31 years old, I used drugs. I shot up drugs in some form or another. And so sometime in 2010 or 2011, I overdosed, small overdoses all the time. But 2007 was my next big one where they declared me dead. I mean, sorry, 2010. And so things just kept getting bad and, and I continued drinking. There's really literally no reason I should be alive. Like I did shoot up heroin and meth at the same time, along with uh, drinking 10, 20 shots of hard liquor at the same time. Um, no one should live. And I did it for 12 years. And it was like the Lord had my, my being preserved because although I looked worn out and torn up from the drugs, um, it wasn't like you see some, like I've seen people that have done drugs for two years that look, a hundred times worse than I did at the time, even though my body and my organs were wearing out. And from there, I overdosed 2010, 2011 from, I drank too much alcohol and shot up some heroin and died. Fortunately, there was a, a guy there that called the ambulance for me. Um, they came, took me to the hospital, revived me, and then they just let me go. So... From there, I, I continued to drink hard liquor, almost drank myself to death, actually. So my organs were shutting down. My skin turned yellow. My hair was falling out. I couldn't smell food, and I couldn't consume alcohol, so I had to trick my body by drinking a shot of alcohol 
throwing it up and, and right after I threw it up I would chug a cup full of liquor just to get liquor in my system so I didn't have to uh, uh, feel the trembles and the shakes and the anxiety that came from not having some form of chemicals in my system and that that takes us to about the year 2011 I'd say. Wow so you're saying you think it's a bit of a miracle you didn't die in that period was what what kept you going like what was keeping you going in that period of time? Um, nothing. I had zero hope for life and I never, at that time, it would, I would be 27 or 28 until I got any hope at all. So what was keeping me going was just the continual search for drugs and the continual uh, consumption of drugs and alcohol. There's nothing supernatural about it. I just was constantly, my life was to find drugs and alcoholism and, uh, I'm sorry, drugs and alcohol. And so that's what I did. That was my girlfriend. That was my friend. That was everything that I did. I actually was on felony probation for six years, following the time I got caught with some heroin. So um, nothing kept me going. My body just wouldn't die because it was not for lack of trying. Wow. Um, yeah, Britt, that's, that's powerful. As in, just thank you. Thank you for for sharing honestly for, for giving us a snapshot of as you said honestly like like a figurative prison like a hell on earth but we i feel that really do and um obviously i know you now and you've kind of hinted at it so i'm wondering like what what changed what what brought us that glimmer of hope that took you on the journey to where you are now yeah, so about 2013, I had another episode of a hardcore binge. I shot up meth and, and sniffed some Xanax and, and chugged liquor. And I don't even know what else, but eight days passed. And I thought only one day had passed. And when I came out of that, I wrecked a work truck and um, lost a job. My parents had been babysitting me that entire eight-day period. I don't know what all happened. I know a lot of... from the bits and pieces I remember, I just know it was terrifying and it was crazy. And so I would say it was 2013, whenever that happened. And whenever I came out of that, I was, I had to live at my parents. I lost everything. I didn't have a vehicle. Like everything was stripped from me for that, for that dumb thing that I did. And so I was laying at home one day and I heard this voice in my stomach around my belly button as crazy as that sounds because obviously I didn't believe in God at the time you know to the extent that I do now I thought maybe he existed but I truly didn't believe it and so I heard this voice around my spirit area and it said if you come back to me I'll make it like you never did drugs a day in your life and so I was like okay well I hope that's a real voice but if it's not then I'm just thinking in my head and that would be very disappointing. But I was so suicidal at this time. Like I was trying to figure out ways to die. Like, should I just chug a bunch of liquor and step out into traffic? Those were my thoughts daily because I brought such shame onto my family again. And I was living back with my parents again. I think I was 27 years old. And uh, there was just a lot of shame attached to that. And uh, so I obeyed that voice. My parents came home and I was like, hey, can you rebaptize me in your bathtub? And they did. They read a blessing over me, um, just always unconditionally loving me. They read a blessing over me and then baptized me. And it was from that day 
looking back in hindsight, I noticed that immediately after that baptism, a few things happened. Uh, one thing was my body's need to have chemicals to survive was fully gone. Like I no longer needed to have drugs to function. But at the same time, all I knew was that habit. That's the only life I knew. Crime, drugs, uh, the, the rush of that lifestyle. And so uh, it would take some years for my mind to be renewed. You know, the Bible says you have the mind of Christ. It talks about your mind being renewed. And it took some years and some process without me really even doing much more than lightly seeking the Lord for that, those habits to be renewed out of my mind. But also something that happened when I got baptized in the bathtub was I got this extreme hunger to just devour everything about God. Now, although my, the lens I was coming through was skeptical and I'm going to see the contradictions and I'm going to find out if this is true or not. That's the way I was coming at it, but the Lord still honored that curiosity. So 24-7, there's this channel in Texas called God's Learning Channel, um, and, and worship and YouTube all day, every day. I was just, I was searching for something, and, and the search and that hunger was coming from inside me. It's not like something I had to work up. It was just a thing that came over me, and it was driving me incessantly. And at the same time, I was super hopeless, like I said, and... Every Sunday night at 11 p.m., Joel Osteen would come on, and I would watch it every Sunday, like clockwork. Um, his messages would come on, and, and from those messages, the Lord used him to just put a tiny, tiny sliver of hope in my life. And I noticed that I had hope whenever I realized one day, holy crap, I'm 27 years old, and I've wasted 10 years of my life. And when I first realized that, it hit me so hard that it was, it really took my breath away. Like I, in a second, I realized that I had wasted all of my adult years up to that point. And then that's where the hunger began. That's where the, the little glimmer of hope it came from despair because now I'm realizing I'm 27 years old. I don't have a college degree. I don't have, uh, I'm on felony probation. I don't have a vehicle. I live with my parents. I've overdosed several times. My reputation is the worst. And now, now all of a sudden, I'm starting to think about the future. Like I've never thought about it in my life. So that was just somewhat overwhelming, but that's where the glimmer of hope came from. That's where it began initially. It began in a supremely, uh, extremely painful way. Okay, so, so, so there's this period of time then basically where there's, there's this kind of contradiction where like you're almost, almost out of routine it seems like seeking out like is there a hope is there a god well some of the same habits are still happening almost out of habit so so i guess at some point one of those two things has to overcome the other um where did where did that happen it took several years so the story i told at the beginning happened in 2014 i would Go buy cocaine and Xanax, which it's, I've said Xanax a lot. It's an anti-anxiety med. You can uh, you can abuse it. It's, it's widely abused. And so I would go buy cocaine, and I would lock myself in my house, and I would shoot up 30, 40 times at a, in a period. Like my Both of my arms are covered in track marks from shoulder to wrist. And uh, I would just lock myself in my house, and, and that's what you do. You know, cocaine is... It's a type of drug that you have to use every every five or ten minutes. And during this time, 
you know, my mind had been renewed. I'd been seeking the Lord. And uh, I, I uh, started to use, hold on, Moises, can you edit this? Okay, so we're just trying to clean up this part about cocaine. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, so I would just clean that up. I guess stop where you would. And I'll give it five seconds of silence, and I'll end that story. So this is the apex of my drug addiction in 2014. I would shoot up cocaine 30, 40 times at a time at a at a 24-hour period, and I would lay there knowing that I'm about to die. Write an accidental suicide letter to my parents. Sorry, I know you raised me better than that. And then I would lay down next to that accidental suicide letter and I would pray to God, Lord, if you slow my heart down, I'll never shoot up again. I'll never do drugs again. And I would just lay my head down expecting to die. And as soon as my heart would slow down, I would sit up and I would shoot up again. And I went through that process 20, 30, 40 times in a period. So that just shows you how far I was lost and how far I was gone. There was no pulling me back. God had to take over. And, and that's, I think, where we're headed, right? Yeah, it seems, this seems to be. So um, So, so you're, you're here in California with me now. Like, that's where you've been for two years. Um, I know that you, you came out here um, for a reason. And it seems to me there's just a missing link then in this story you've been telling us so far to how you've got here. Um, so what happened? What, what brought that about? Yeah. So I'll fast forward through quite a bit of stuff. Um, like I said, if you have any questions about this testimony or you have anyone that is involved with drugs, you can reach out to me. I have a, an email, the good Christian 11 at gmail.com. Um, but just to fast forward through a bit so we can keep this video or this podcast down. I had an experience with the Lord. It just takes just a touch of curiosity. And I remained curious, uh, the cocaine drug dealer, he had to move. So that kind of limited my resources and that was a natural occurrence. I can't say for sure if that guy would have stayed around that I would still be alive today. So obviously the Lord comes into play with that. Um, so I was seeking the Lord and I never heard of anything, never even considered doing ministry school. I uh, never considered uh, moving even to California until I heard from the Lord to move to California. So through a process of asking the Lord for confirmation after confirmation after confirmation, the Lord got back to me through my grandpa and he was like, hey, if you're going to be working at a dead end job, you should move to California where the scenery is nice. So at the time, I was planning to move to Santa Clarita by L.A. And uh, I was looking for jobs. I was looking for places to live. But every time I would fill a check in my spirit, the Lord would say, no, we're just going. Just trust me. Have faith. The same voice that told me to come back to him, he'll make it like I never did drugs. So though I didn't fully believe yet, I, I followed that voice. And three days before I was due to leave to Santa Clarita, I fell asleep on my couch. And like I said, after I got baptized, I was just a voracious consumer of all things, all sermons. I'll turn sermons on at night and listen to them. And I fell asleep October 10th, 2017. And I woke up suddenly. I, I had my head covered and I felt 
there's all I can say is it felt like static electricity was charged in the room. And I felt like something was there, but I could hear on TV on the sermon that's on YouTube, this preacher was going, come Holy Spirit, come. I never heard that before. And in that way, asking the Holy Spirit to come like that. And all of a sudden I felt a human finger touch my arm under my covers. And as soon as the finger touched my arm, I felt just like a human finger touched my arm. My whole body felt like I was being electrocuted. Like it was such an intense and it was painful and it was scary. And I'd never felt anything like that. Uh, actually, I've been shocked before. It felt like a super intense shock going with the flow of my blood around in waves and waves and waves and waves. And I had no grid for this. I've never heard of this happening to anyone. The closest thing I heard was my brother. He told me the presence of the Lord came over him once and it felt like he was being electrocuted, but I'd never uh, heard of anything like this actually happening, you know, to this extreme level. I was laying there on the couch. I kept my head covered because I was so terrified to see what it was ever in the room, whatever touched my arm. And uh, I looked down at the covers and, and it looked like gallons of water were washing over my body under me and over me. But when these, this water hit the ground next to the couch, it, the ground stayed dry. So I've been clean off of drugs at this point, which is another whole long subcategory of this testimony for 10 months. I was drug free for 10 months at this point, which is a miracle in and of itself. So I was just laying there thinking, I've got to be tripping out in some way. This is way too crazy. There's water coming off of me. I'm on a couch. It's hitting the ground. It's staying dry. And I feel like I'm about to explode from some sort of high electrical fire. So I was just laying there and, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm about to die. I knew I was about to die. And this preacher kept going, more Holy Spirit, intensify. And it feels like this feeling would just ratchet up and ratchet up. And soon, you know, during this time, I'm having revelations that are so profound and so intense all at the same time. Like I say them, they come out in, in sequential order, but all these things were hitting me at the exact same time. God is real. Jesus is God's son. Jesus is the Christ. The Bible's true. God created the universe. All these things just washing over my being and becoming truth in me. And, and I was laying there on the couch and, and I just started to comprehend. This guy said, Holy Spirit, come. And so the Holy Spirit is God. God's not going to kill me. So I just settled down into that intense electrical rush. And no more than 10 or 20 seconds, I would say the rush went away. And I laid my head down and I fell asleep immediately. When I woke up the next day, oh man, everything was bright. Everything was better. I knew in that second that God was real. And I knew that everything that I've ever been told was a lie, but I had no language for it. I had no way to say anything about it. I was just going crazy like, God, I need to tell everyone that everyone's being lied to. I started to go crazy in my head. How can I tell everyone this thing? And, and all these revelations still hit me and, and everything seemed crisper and more real and, and everything was, there's no way to explain it. It felt like uh, reality had finally formed around me, the reality that I was seeking. And in that moment, I asked the Lord, now I know the Lord exists, so I started asking him questions. I was like, Lord, what was that? Was I being punished for something? And I felt, I heard the Holy Spirit say, pop your Bible open. So I popped my Bible open. This is all on October 10th, 2017, just, you know, the next morning after that event. Popped my Bible open and pointed, and the verse I pointed to was Luke 11:20. It says, when I cast demons out of you by the finger of God, the kingdom of heaven has come upon you.
And so I recognized a finger touched me and God must have cast demons out of me. I was super excited. I was hyped up. I was like, dang, Jesus came into my living room. No one's ever going to believe this. But that's my testimony for that. So I looked at the video. It was by this guy I've never heard of, but a church I've never heard of, Bill Johnson, Bethel Church, Baptized in Fire, something like that. It's still on YouTube to this day. And so I was already on my way to California, but the Lord rerouted me. So instead of going to SoCal, uh, I loaded my truck. I drove through Santa Clarita, came up to Redding to visit. I lived at a truck stop for a couple of weeks. I, I ended up staying, long story short. I found out they had a ministry school. I met a lot of people, got plugged into a community, and, and that's where I am today. I've gone from a drug addict, junkie, felon, homeless, uh, stole everything from my parents, their homes, their cars, everything they lost. Very terrible reputation. Now I'm in my second year of ministry school, and I'm almost done, and I'm going to a third year. So that's the transformational power of Jesus. You just need a little bit of curiosity, and basically he'll do the rest. Wow. Thanks, Britt. That's um, that's cool. I've just got a couple more questions, just to just to help us kind of round this off, um, to kind of understand a little bit more of kind of what's happened to you since. So, you have this transformational encounter. You come to Bethel, you stay. Um, what do you think changed? What like how how do you feel God changed things or transformed things for you once you came here? Because you're still here. You're still going through ministry school, like well recognized in this environment now. So how how was that what shifted? I guess is what I'm asking. It wasn't easy. Anytime you come to the Lord, um I, I had the misconception that I said yes to Jesus, so my life was gonna be super easy. Completely wrong. That it was actually the most brutal uh few years of my life to have to face myself and face all these insecurities and all this hatred and not to mention, I started drugs when I was 18, so my mental and, and emotional capacity was that probably closer to a 15 or 17-year-old when I first got here. So it took a lot of pastoring and a lot of painful meetings and things of that nature to get me to mature. And now in this environment, I matured at a rate probably 10 times faster than I would have out in the world if I ever would have. This speaks to the transformational power of God and the Spirit of God. He renewed my mind he renewed my body from head to toe he gave me brand new skin brand new hair uh brand new teeth brand new organs i've never had a disease associated with drugs all these things he did through declarations of his word and just plugging into him now the process here has been super difficult because um i came from a world exact opposite of the culture they have here so it was like trying for lack of a better analogy fitting fitting a, a round peg into a square hole um, I was so lost, but at the same time, the days were so sweet because the Lord was there. Um, following Jesus is, it, it's misconceived out in the world. I had a misconception about it myself. So all of the pain of literally having the spirit of the Lord put your face in a mirror and you have to look yourself in the eye and see all these things that you, uh, you thought were normal, uh, and, and getting that close to him just burns it all off. He says that he's going to burn away the chaff. He's coming to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. Can't get that close to God without all this burning off. So I guarantee you any 
anything you have that is not of God, if you plug into process of seeking God, it will burn off of you. We're just fortunate enough to do in this environment, you know, nine months in this environment will get you probably 10 years uh, in your own search out there with the Lord, just because they've cultivated and stewarded that relationship so well. And they have a lot of people to do that. But I think the number one thing is the education of the spirit of God. There's nothing like it. It's nonstop and it's, and it's year round. And I'm still learning things today about my past and, and it's so beautiful and it's painful and it makes you appreciate those that stuck by you. My parents, like my mom and dad stayed praying 12 years, 15 years of hell, praying that I would be a mighty man of God who chased God as hard as I chased drugs. And here I am today, I'm alive and I'm in ministry school and uh, I'm thriving in this environment also. So if the Lord gets a hold of your heart, once your curiosity causes him to cross that barrier and get a hold of your heart, there's really no going back. I've seen too much now. Like there's, there's no way for me to accept anything less than more. If that makes any sense. Oh yeah. Yeah, it does. Thank you. And you know, as, as someone who knows you, I can, I can testify for the fact seeing you, you know, man who honors people who's super, super kind in the way that you speak to people and encourage them seeing even, what you're doing in this podcast i love it like this idea of revealing to people how god can transform um my hope is is that another time we'll be able to to chat more about some of this and how you've been transformed because honestly Brett, i think there's a lot there's a lot more that could be said but for the sake of the time that we have i just have one more thing i'd like to ask you um i'm sure a lot of people have been affected in some way by testimonies similar to yours either on, on the side of the door that you are, you were, which is, um, you know, in the drug addiction and in the searching and the hopelessness. And I think your story has spoken a lot of hope, hopefully, into people's lives who are stuck in those same um, destructive cycles. What I'd love to know is for any of us who are on the other side of the door, who haven't had a testimony like yours, and we really want to love people, um, maybe they're people in our families, our friends, or the people we see in our community. How can we, as Christians, or even just as people, like love well somebody who's who is going through a story like the one that you've gone through with with hope? I would just say, first of all, accept that it's not going to be all peachy every single day. It's going to be hard. It's going to be a battle. If you love them, obviously, it's going to be a especially a battle for you internally. Uh, once you get over the fact that it's not God's fault too, like I blame God for everything and I wasn't even living for God. So it's just something you have to get over. God's not at fault at all for this, for these types of things. Um, this is a little rabbit trail, but I'm just talking to the Lord one day, you know, saying, Lord, how is it fair to my parents for them to raise me right to give me everything I need to succeed, to affirm me, to love me, to speak truth into me, only to see me fall away and do everything the exact opposite as their kid. How is it fair that their kid, who they love so well, would become so bad? And the Lord spoke to me so sharply and said, I know exactly what they're going through. His, his responsibility for us as creator and as father is exactly the same. He has the power to stop it, and he doesn't. He just bears that pain with us. 
And so knowing that the Lord is there with you in that pain, it helps. And then I can just suggest to love, love those people where they're at, but don't become a crutch for them. And that's as simple as it can be. Um, just love them as they are, but don't become a crutch. That's all I can say. Okay. Yeah. I get that. Thank you. Um, yeah, we want to, we want to love people, love people well, but we don't want to enable the things that, that they're, they're doing. Cause as, as you kind of said in the story, it's, it's very easy in a situation of desperation to, to take advantage of people. And even if you're not doing it with a happy heart, sometimes it feels like that's, that's the only answer, right? Yeah, it's it's definitely not easy. And like I said, it took my parents. Uh, they could have their own good Christian story themselves. They they stayed with the Lord. They had to make a conscious decision. They told me uh, one time the height of my addiction. Um, they told me that you're going to come to a crossroads as a Christian one day when you have to decide, am I going to go with God even through all this pain, through all this torture, through all this seemingly seeming injustice in my life that he could prevent am i going to choose god and they said they had that time they came to that crossroads as a couple my mom and dad and they decided yes we're going to believe that he's good we're going to continue praying we're going to stick with him we don't know anything else and we'd never want to know anything else so they stuck with him and it paid off their prayers paid off and i had a praying family and uh and just a good uh a good Lord that followed me, man. I should be dead a thousand times and I'm, I'm alive and better than ever. Yes, you are. That's very powerful. I love that. Speak the truth. Be steadfast. Um, Britt, I, I feel very honored to have been chosen as the guy to, to talk you through this testimony. Um, it is very powerful and it's even more powerful for, for any of us who know you now to see, to see who you are now, it's 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 almost unbelievable to think about where you've been. So, thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, Tom, any final things to ahead. say? Have you got any final things to say? I was just going to thank you, Tom. You did exactly as great as I assumed you would. This uh, used to be a hard topic. It's not so much anymore. I want to thank all my friends that helped me uh, put this together, and also the ones that interviewed before. And I thank you, Tom. And I thank Moises Montañez for editing this. And if you have any questions, like I said, thegoodchristian11 at gmail.com. I have a Facebook, The Good Christian, Instagram, The Good Christian TX for Texas, because that's where I'm from. Shout out. What's up? Um, that's about it. That's all I really have to say about that. Well, it's been a total pleasure chatting to you. Hope we get to do it again. Yeah, you too. And thanks for listening to The Good Christian Podcast. Please tell other people about it and have a good night or day whenever you listen to this. Bye. See ya. I don't know where I would go without your hand leading me. I don't know if I would stay without your love anchoring each day. Cause I am wild at heart. I need your love to chase me from the Star.